So let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. It's good to have my friend, Pastor David Greer, in the service this evening. Uh, pastor's down the road there in Seymour. He slipped in here, and uh, he was, you know, he was hoping I would say something. I know he was, but uh, it's good to see him tonight, and glad he glad he's here with us. John chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was uh, blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We're going to look at this story about Jesus healing this blind man and just all of the, the craziness that comes behind this story. The Pharisees are going to get all upset over this man being healed and they're going to interrogate the man who is healed and, and then ultimately Jesus is not only going to touch this man's physical blindness and give, restore his sight, but he's going to give him, um, he's going to give him his spiritual sight by the very end of the chapter. Let's look at this sermon title tonight. I am the light of the world. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus down into the world. Lord, the world was quite dark when you entered into it. 300 years of silence from no prophet uh, being given a, a word to speak. And uh, Lord, uh, much confusion about what truth was. And uh, Lord, a lot of worshiping of ceremonialism and a lot of empty religion. And then Lord Jesus, you came onto the horizon, shining the light of truth quite bright. And, uh, uh, Lord, that light became a blinding light to the Pharisees, but, Lord, it illuminated the path for so many who were seeking and searching. And, and so it is today that so many who are filled with themselves are blinded by the light of truth and others who are seeking and searching. Um, uh, Lord, we are able to see the path ahead of what you have for us. Thank you that just as the psalmist wrote so many thousands of years ago that your word really is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is uh, the light of truth that you put in us at salvation. And so, Lord, help us to take the truths in this chapter tonight. Help them to take them and, and, and glean from them wonderful things that will help us to be better Christians. Lord God, bless our service this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine walking through life completely blind. Completely blind. Imagine just how limited your life would be in comparison to where it is now. Imagine no longer being able to drive. Imagine no longer being able to look at a smartphone or a computer screen. Imagine no longer being able to take in a movie or a TV show. Imagine no longer being able to sit on your porch and watch the sun rise or set. Imagine no longer being able to see a beautiful landscape or uh, a wide open ocean or lake. Imagine never seeing a smile. Imagine never ever knowing that someone in front of you was sad because you could not see the expression on their face. Imagine for a moment being born totally blind. According to the CDC's website, there are 6 million Americans that have experienced severe vision loss 
And there are one million Americans who are completely blind. Have you ever tried to walk around your house with a blindfold on for 20 minutes? I challenge you to do it. You'll see how frustrating it is to live life without your eyes. Imagine going a whole day and not seeing a thing. Imagine going the rest of your life and not being able to see. Now in John chapter 9, Jesus continues his teaching on light. Back in chapter 8, verse 12, he declared, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He then goes back and forth with the Pharisees. We looked at that last week. Now, he is going back to this truth. He heals a man of his blindness and right back into his statement that as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's going now to heal a blind man, not only of his physical blindness, but by the end of the chapter again, he's going to heal the man's spiritual blindness. As we go through the chapter you can see how this man slowly comes around to who Jesus is. Look with me at verse number 11. The man begins by referring to uh, the one who healed him as a man called Jesus. Look at verse number 11. He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto him, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received Sight. Then a little later in the chapter, he, go, he, he moves from calling him Jesus to calling him a prophet. Look at verse 17. Uh, they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He, this is the healed man now, said, He is a prophet. So a man called Jesus, now he is calling him a prophet. We see the progression of thought. Now look down at verse 33 and we see that he refers to him as a man of God. Verse 33, he says to the Pharisees, he says, If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. In essence, because he gave me my sight, he must be a man of God. Finally, the scales of his soul fall off, and he sees Jesus not only as the healer of his physical eyes, but the giver of spiritual vision as well. Look down at verse number 36. Verse 36, and uh, he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So this man goes from calling him a man called Jesus to saying, I believe that you are my Savior. I believe that you are the sent Messiah. And you can refer back to verses 34 and 35. It is a horrifying thought to walk through life without physical vision. But imagine how hard it is to walk through life spiritually blind and then to be offered healing but only to refuse it. So many people alive today are stumbling in the darkness of immorality and sin. Church, hear what I'm about to say. As a Christian with the Holy Ghost, you have light within you. The lost world who dictates the culture does not have that light. 
They are walking around and stumbling in a darkness that is so dark, they know not at what they stumble. And we as Christians, if we're not careful, let those who live in darkness tell us who live in light how to live. Oh, how we should be very careful not to let cultural trendsetters tell us how to walk and how to talk and how to dress and how to act and what to accept and by what we are tolerant. No, if you are saved, you have the Holy Ghost of God whose purpose is to lead you and guide you into all truth. We live in a world that is filled with darkness and sin and we live in a world with people while they are not physically blind, all of them, They are spiritually blind. And along comes a man named Jesus and the truth of Jesus to offer them the ability to see. And you know what they do? They turn it down. Do you remember when you got saved? You remember that? How many of you got saved after the age of 13? 13 and up. Raise your hand if you got saved after the age. Wow. Hold those hands up for a moment. I'd say that's two-thirds of the room. Wow. I was not expecting that kind of a, a hand raise. To get saved at that point in your life, you knew what it was like to stumble in the darkness of sin and then come into the light of the gospel. Imagine being offered that light and saying, Nope, I'm good being blind. I don't want that. Many are blind in this world to their own sin and its destruction. Jesus offers the life-altering power to give you sight and to save your soul. Now, for the believer here this evening, we must be tender to the blind world around us. I was at a uh, a conference just last month, and uh, the uh, preacher at the end of his sermon took up blindfolds and he blindfolded four teenagers and had them wander around the room and follow his voice and they're very carefully trying to walk and step up on a platform and it's the stuff lawsuits are made of amen it was hilarious it really was and you know what it gave a great visual it gave a great visual of just how difficult it is to navigate the world blind and you know what spiritually all those people outside there, this, the walls of this building that are not saved, and even the ones in here that are not saved, all the people in this world that are not saved, that same visual is how they're wandering through life spiritually. And listen, we need to be tender to their blindness. We need to see them as blind. And we need to be quick and ready to swoop in and give them the light of truth. I have found in my experience of talking with others that a whole large chunk of our population who is lost is willing to be saved if someone would very carefully and lovingly just explain to them how to come to the truth. Putting the sermon together, I thought of uh, Isaac, was it, is it John Newton or Isaac Newton? Which one wrote Amazing Grace? John Newton there. The other one, in, in, uh, he didn't invent gravity, he discovered it, all right? Uh, so, John Newton. John Newton, who, who wrote, uh, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Then he wrote these words, Was blind, but now I see. You know what people want? People want to be able to see. People want truth. Uh, people are hungry for truth. And not everyone's going to accept it, but I have found many 
will listen and let you walk them into the light. We must be tender to show them that truth. Let's jump into the outline tonight. We're going to look at three thoughts out of John 9. We're going to cover the whole chapter as we consider the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. Number one, notice God's purpose in our problems. God's purpose in our problems. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 and notice letter A, the disciples' assumption. The disciples' assumption. Look down at verse number 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it is fair to assume that physical blindness is a result of living in a fallen, sin-cursed world. Have you ever heard the phrase that God is not a respecter of persons? That's in the Bible. God is not a respecter of persons. And we understand that God is not a respecter of persons. Can I add uh, another thought to that? Sin is no respecter of persons. And sin, the sin gene, the sin bug bites everybody differently. You may have an eight-year-old child who has cancer. Uh, you may have someone else who has a child who's born blind, such as this passage. And uh, you may have a couple who can't get pregnant. And uh, you may have uh, another uh, uh, couple who uh, they keep having miscarriage after miscarriage. And the sin bug is no respecter of persons. It doesn't care if you're saved or lost. It, 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 it attacks all of us and it comes after all of us. And all of us have to deal with it in some way or somehow. And, and listen, uh, part of living in a sin-filled world is that some people are born deaf and other people are born blind and other people are born mute and other people are maybe born uh, uh, with uh, some sort of deficiency or some kind of handicap. But just because that generically uh, blindness is a result of living in a fallen world, it does not mean that someone did a specific sin where the wrath of God was poured down on someone. This man is begging for money. And listen, what I want you to see here uh, under this point about the disciples' assumption is that this this man is sitting there begging for money. He's got probably a tin can or a box. And, and he's blind. And, and you can tell by looking at his eyes that he's blind. And he's begging for money. And here comes Jesus, the most compassionate person to ever walk the earth. Here comes Jesus slowly walking by this guy. And the disciples don't stop and think, I wonder if Jesus is going to heal him. No, the disciples decide they're going to have a cold-hearted theological discussion about who sinned. Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? You know what? Sometimes we can be so methodical and cold-hearted in our approach to other people and their brokenness that we lack the compassion to actually help them. Letter B, we see Christ's answer. Look down at verse number 3. Christ's answer. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Now that doesn't mean they had never sinned. All right, keep it in context. What this means is that this man is not born blind because of a sin by him or his parents. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but here's the reason for his blindness, that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus continues, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. It, it, might, it might be hard for you or I to comprehend, but God allows people 
to be born with maladies or handicaps because they bring him a greater glory. These tests that are done uh, during a woman's pregnancy to determine some sort of mental handicap so that moms and dads can abort, those tests break my heart. They just break my heart. When we were pregnant with uh, our children, they asked us if we wanted to run these tests. And both Angela and I said, no, it does not matter if our child is handicapped, uh, going to be born handicapped. We want to have that child all the same, and we're going to love them all the same. And, and uh, that, that, that is not going to play any factor on whether or not we uh, hold on to the pregnancy and, and hold on to the babies. And uh, listen, um, I think about children who were born with Down syndrome. You know, they, they live, and I've known many folks with Down syndrome, they live with a special joy in their heart and their life. You think God does not look down from heaven and enjoy them? You don't think that they maybe don't enjoy God on a different level that me and you do? No, I know that they can have stresses and problems in life, but... There's more of an innocency and a carefree spirit about them. And there's a closer connection that they're able to have with the Lord. God made them so that His works could be manifest. God made them for His glory. Let me also add here that God, listen up, this is so important. God owes you and I no explanation as to why anybody is born with any malady. If God were to give you a child that was in some way handicapped, uh, there's no room there for you to be bitter toward God. You say, easy for you to say, you have uh, two healthy children. And, and while that's true, uh, theologically, we need to make sure we're clear on this. God does not revolve around you. You were born to revolve around God. That children, child was born to revolve around God. And if that child gives God any glory through his existence and being, he is that child's creator, not you or I. We need to worship the Lord. Other times, God allows blindness or a handicap to happen after someone is born so that God can receive great glory and praise. Inside the hymnal that's just down below your kneecaps there, in front of you, you will find many written by a woman named Fanny Crosby, uh, maybe the most famous hymn writer in our Baptist circles. Fanny Crosby became blind after an accident at the hospital in her, uh, shortly after her birth. She would write many great hymns that we are still singing today. I think of the song Blessed Assurance where she says, Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Boy, what a thought that the very first face that Fanny Crosby will ever see and remember will be the face of her Savior uh, when she stepped into glory. That was the first face that she saw. All the poetry that she wrote. All of the songs that she wrote. And we only sing a handful of them. God gave her that blindness so that she would be in a place where she would write so many songs that have served as a blessing and, uh, and touched so many hearts. I think of Ron Hamilton who lost his eye to cancer and would leave the hospital wearing a patch and uh, post-surgery. And uh, he would become known uh, by millions and millions of people as Patch the Pirate. He would go on to write dozens of children's adventures that would reshape Christian music and uh, mold the hearts of millions of children, including mine, to have a deep, deep love 
for God. Um, I remember another incident that, uh, as I was putting this message together, one that I, I, I think on regularly. I was just maybe a six or seven years old. And when something like this happens in your life, it's one of those moments that's indelibly printed uh, in your mind and heart and you, you carry for the rest of your life. I was just a little guy and uh, we had a man come to our church that had survived a house fire. And his entire body had been charred. In fact, I remember them talking about how he had some chemical all over his body, and as they sprayed him down, it just caused the fires to continue to leap. And it took them a while to get him extinguished, and they rushed him to the hospital, and they were able to save his life, but he looked like a freak when they got done. I mean, he was a charred individual. And I remember he came to our church to speak. And I'm just seven or eight years old, and I'm sitting there, and this guy very fragilely comes in. No one was allowed to touch him. And he sat there on the front pew, and uh, the the preacher got up to preach. The guest preacher got up to preach. He was a, a friend of his. And at a t- point in the sermon, this guy came up on the platform and he stood behind the pulpit there, and he had the entire room uh, just uh, just uh, just completely engulfed in what he had to say. And he talked about the experience of being burned alive. And then he put his little finger out and he said, if there's anyone here today that is lost, you don't want to live for eternity what I experienced for five minutes. You need to get saved. That guy went and that guy got saved after the house fire. That guy went around the country until he died with his evangelist friend. And as a result of the tragedy that he went through, I have no idea, but I would guess hundreds if not thousands of people got saved as a result of his very, very uh, jarring testimony. God allows tragedies and problems and hurts and maladies and handicaps into the world because God is working a greater purpose. Who are we to say, I'm not going to believe in God that lets a, a, a God that lets a child get cancer. You don't know what God's doing in the background. We must learn to trust our God. Back in our text, God allowed this man to be born blind so that God would get the glory through his life And as we will see in this story, that's exactly what's going to happen. Letter B, we saw Christ's answer. Letter C, notice the blind man's action. The blind man's action. Now, those of you that enjoy a little bit of a theological dig, I'm going to throw you a bone here, all right? Look at verse 6 and 7. And uh, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, this is the third individual at this point in Jesus' ministry that I could find, just by timeline, that he had healed of blindness. And each time that Jesus heals a man with blindness, his method is yet a little bit different. And this time, he takes some clay, and he places it on the man's eyes, and he sends him to wash in a very specific 
pool, a pool of Shalom, and um, there the man is to uh, follow through, take action, and he would be healed. Now, what was the purpose of the clay that Jesus put on his eyes? I put down two words here. The first word I put down was incarnation. Now, stop and think about this with me here. When God made Adam and Eve, what did he make them out of? He made them out of clay. He made them out of the dust of the ground. He came down and he took the dust or the clay and he formed man, right? And then we know that God came down, uh, the eternal word came down and was born through the womb of Mary and he became a man, a man of clay, a man of dust. And so here uh, the Lord is taking clay, the same material he would have used to make Adam, the same material uh, by which man is made out of. And he's putting this on the eyes of a man who is born blind and cannot see. And notice that word sent. Jesus was sent from heaven uh, not uh, to be the clay on the eyes of our soul uh, so that we could be be uh, uh, given uh, light and we could see with our spiritual eyes in our heart. And just as this clay would give this man healing of his physical blindness, Jesus is the incarnation. Jesus is the clay. When properly applied to the heart, our sinful heart and life, we are given uh, spiritual sight. But notice not only incarnation, but also irritation. Jesus, or just as someone, uh, uh, something, let me back up, just as something in my eye or your eye would cause great irritation and cause you to want to go rinse your eyeball out, right? Uh, what do you think this man wanted to do? Just because he was blind doesn't mean his eyes weren't irritated. Jesus takes dirt and he puts it in the man's eye and says, go wash uh, this out. Of course the man's going to want to go wash this clay out of his eye. His eyes are irritated now. The Lord has just taken clay or mud or dirt and put it in his eyes and said, go wash it out. And here's the little application I want to draw out right now. Sometimes, sometimes God will bring a malady or hurt or handicap or problem and drop it into the life of a person who is blind spiritually because it's creating an irritation in their life for them to go seek the Lord and be saved. I I look at people's uh, uh, shortcomings and pains and sufferings and surgeries and 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 depressions and and worries and 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 job firings and and loss of house and all of the bad things that can come. I look at them not as a problem, but rather I look at them as an opportunity. I guess it's probably once or twice, sometimes more than that, a week. Somebody will text me or call me and they'll say, Pastor, pray for my friend or pray for my family member because they have cancer or they have this problem. And I'll ask this question every time. Is your loved one saved? And a lot of times the answer is no. And if you've called me that way, if you've called me that way, then what I have told you is, well, let's pray God uses this to bring them to salvation. Amen? I think when Mike Barra had cancer and he was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital, and he would sit there with other cancer patients and he would talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And boy, he'd find them to be much more tender. They had an irritation in their soul from that sickness and that pain and only... Only the water of God's Word can wash that away and bring about the availability of seeing spiritually in salvation. The blind man's action. Number one, we see that God has a purpose 
in our problems. Before I move on to number two, I would be amiss if I did not say this to each of us here. Do not be a shallow Christian that asks God why when he brings problems in your life. An immature Christian, and I don't say that as a pejorative or to cut anyone down. Listen, an immature Christian, when they have a problem come in their life, they will ask God, why are you doing this to me? And I would say to you, if that's where you're at, God uses problems to make us better. When God chooses to bring a major whopper of a problem in your life, He does so with great care and great choice, and He has a great plan. He's working in your life. Trust the hand of the potter. God's purpose in our problems. Number two, the proclamation of the healed man. Now, here's where we start to get into the drama of the passage, and this is going to get good. Let's look at letter A, the Pharisees' frustration. The Pharisees' frustration. Look down with me at verse number 8. So, Jesus heals this man, and he just walks away. He sends the man to wash his eyes, and now the man has, has heard the voice of Jesus. He's not seen him, obviously. He was blind, interacting with Jesus, and Jesus has put clay in his eyes. He sent him to wash. The man washes his eyes, and uh, he's now a distance from the Lord, and he doesn't know where Jesus is, but yet now he can see, and now there's a buzz around this man. Look at verse 8. Uh, the neighbors, therefore... Uh, and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Nah, he is like him. Nah is, is I, that's in the Greek. Amen? Um, but, but he said, I am he. I am he. He declares, Yep, I'm the guy. I was blind. I was begging. But now uh, I can see. Verse 10, Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. So he just gives the details. He just gives the the hard facts. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. So some debate breaks out among his neighbors, about whether or not he was the same man who was born blind. Finally, he speaks up. He declares that he indeed uh, was that blind man. This is a miracle. So they take this man to the Pharisees. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh Uh-oh. Then again the the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracle? And there was a division among them. These scornful, skeptical Pharisees were more concerned with the how than the who. Look back with me at verse number 15. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how, how he had received his sight. Here's the problem with their question. They're asking the wrong question. They're asking the wrong three-worded question. How and who uh, contain the same letters but are in different order? How is concerned with the method that was used to do it? Who is concerned with the individual and whether or not they are valid? So how did he do it? Well, 
he had worked on the Sabbath. And for the Pharisees, this was the problem. What did Jesus do to work on the Sabbath? Now, is this not petty? He made clay. You know what it takes to make clay? A little bit of water and some dirt. You want to tell me that didn't happen on a regular basis on the Sabbath day? That someone didn't make clay or mix water and dirt? Uh, you know, I really would like to ask an old Pharisee, if I could get in the time machine and go back, what am I allowed to do on the Sabbath day? I mean, I know I can get my ox out of the ditch because Jesus picked on them for that, but out, other than getting my ox out of the ditch, what am I allowed to do? And by the way, this was not the teaching of the Old Testament. This was the teaching of their Talmud, which was a, com a commentary on the Old Testament. These were not the laws of God. These were the made-up laws of man. They were holding Jesus to a standard that was not in the Bible. He had made clay. Okay, what a great offense. He placed the clay on the man's eyes. <laughs> oh, now we're really getting into some dangerous territory here. And then he sent the man to wash, and because the man's blindness was taken away, he performed a miracle. These three actions by the Talmud were, uh, were work, were considered work. And this was strictly forbidden on the Sabbath. Here's the other question I have as I've studied through this. Who added to the Talmud that you can't do miracles on the Sabbath? Because none of them could do miracles. So what was that doing in there? Maybe they penciled it in, Brother Russo, just to pick on Jesus. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how that worked. The Pharisees were not conservatives. The Pharisees were preservatives. You know, what's a conservative? A conservative is someone who wants to, believes that uh, what they have received in their heritage is good, uh, but maybe could be improved upon. And so we're going to take the fundamentals of what we've received, we'll look at those things that are new, and we'll look to improve as we move forward. A preservative says, no, we're going to preserve exactly what we have, and we're not going to change it, not one little iota, because we don't want it to be messed up. And uh, because of the Pharisees were preservatives, not conservatives, they could not break out of the old mosaic mold, and the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. He said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill. I came to fulfill. They weren't interested in fulfillment. They were interested in holding it right where it was. So we see the Pharisees' frustration. This man has been made whole. He was born blind. And so, and by the way, here's another little thought on this. The fact that he was born blind, that matters. Because if he had become blind after he was born, well, they can just say, well, whatever caused the blindness went away. But the fact that the man was born blind and now he was made whole, there was no questioning this was a whole, real uh, miracle. This was an authentic miracle that they could not call into question. But now they're going to question if this is even the same guy. So we see the Pharisees' frustration. Notice number two, the parents' fear. The parents' fear. Look down at verse number 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him uh, that had received his sight. 
So they already had their minds made up. They just had to prove the narrative that was in their heart. Jesus could not be good. He was not good. And they were going to find a way to make sure that that narrative held uh, held solid. 19, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? Uh, how then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Why are the parents being so shifty? Look at 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. I found this passage to be intriguing. And I wanted to know more, so I did some digging. To be kicked out of the synagogue would have placed you in the camp of being labeled a publican and a sinner. You see, publicans and sinners were not allowed in the synagogue. These were the crowd of people. Those were a part of the crowd of people who had been expelled. So when the Bible tells us that Jesus was with publicans and sinners, who was Jesus with? He was with the people who the Pharisees had turned up their nose to and had kicked out of the synagogue and said, you're not allowed here. Jesus said, they maybe don't want you, but I love you and I'll help you. Now, here you have these parents who have their whole social status wrapped up with the community. And part of the community in the Jewish world would have been to be in the synagogue and to be able to worship the Lord there. And now they're being threatened with being excommunicated and kicked out. And so their son is made whole and now they're put in a difficult spot. Do we give credence to Jesus and say He must be the Christ? Or uh, do we find a way out of this? So they did um, uh, what uh, they shouldn't have done. They chose the old-fashioned method of passing the buck. Oh, yeah, right. We know he was born blind. Ask him. We're out of here. <laughs> I have been a part of one church in my life that ruled over the people with fear. It's not a healthy environment. You'll never want to be a part of a church where you have, feel like you have to operate a certain way or behave a certain way or you're going to be publicly reprimanded and ripped to shreds uh, if you uh, don't, uh, don't straighten up. I, I know of one such meeting within this particular church that happened where uh, they called a meeting and brought everyone forward and sat them down in the front third of the auditorium and the pastor turned off the live stream and turned off the mic after the service and he said to them, these people have been kicked out of the church and if we catch you having any contact with them, whether it's face-to-face or social media, we will throw you out of here as well. That's not a church, that's a prison. All right, that's not healthy. And uh, that's where these parents were. That's exactly the environment that the Pharisees had harbored. Letter C, we see the healed man's fortitude. The healed man's fortitude. That word fortitude means the ability to stand in the face of adversity. And that's exactly what this guy's going to do. Because the Pharisees now are going to come after him to try to discredit him. Look at verse number 17. 
Verse 17. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him? That he hath opened thine eyes. He said, He is a prophet. He is a prophet. Now this, this was not a designation that the Pharisees were comfortable with. That meant putting him on the same level as Elijah and Elisha and Samuel and Moses. Uh, to give him this title would be problematic for the Pharisees. But this healed man was not finished. Look down at verse number 24. Verse 24. Then again, call they the blind man. So they call the blind man in, ask him how it happened, throw him out, bring the parents in. The parents won't answer, so now they bring the man back in. 24. Then again, call they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Now that phrase also caught my eye, so I drilled down a little bit there in my studies this week. And here's what I found. Give God the praise appeared to be an oath that one would take uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth here in their religious court. So when they say, give God the praise, what they're saying is, swear under oath that what you're about to tell us is true. We're going to hold what you say as testimony. And uh, part of the reason why we believe that give God the praise, or I would believe that give God the praise, uh, would appear to be an oath, because we go back to Joshua seven nineteen. Joshua said in Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord of Israel, and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done hide it not from me so the same verbiage is used on Achan when Achan is expected uh, to give testimony before uh, the council of Moses on whether or not he had uh, stolen the goods from Jericho uh, go back with me at verse number uh, 30 uh, rather 24 here uh, or 25 where are we at 24 24 uh, then again called they the man that was blind and said to him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. Oh, this is one of my favorite phrases in the book of John. Look here. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, but now I see. Amen? He said, hey, look, you can ask me if he's a sinner or not. I'm not here to tell you all that. All I know is that I was blind and I couldn't see a thing. And this man came along and he changed my life. I meet people who are so skeptical to the gospel. And they want to defend and fight over the, rather they want to fight over the, the, the technicalities of whether or not the Bible is real and true, or whether or not God is real or true. And they want to get into the weeds with these technical arguments, and they want to question uh, Christians and say, well, defend yourself. And I just want to say this, I don't have an answer for every little technicality you can throw at me, but I know this, I was once a blind little boy that could not see the Lord, and one day Jesus came down and He saved my soul, I once was blind, but now I see. And I have watched over the many years I've been saved, and especially at a higher level of concentration as a pastor, as God has taken many of your lives, and He has changed them, and He has saved you, and He has taken off the scales of spiritual blindness, and oh, the goodness of God in each of your lives. This week, I walked through a little bit of a valley of discouragement, going through some things in my heart and mind, and I shared this with my soul winning class last week, at least this part of it. You know, oftentimes when I'm discouraged, you know what it really comes down to for me? My own pride. I'm just being very honest with you right now. 
I don't like the way someone talks to me or I don't like the way someone maybe ignores me or I don't like the way that uh, someone uh, responds to a request that I have and I get enough of those and someone is gossiping about me behind my back or uh, word gets to me that uh, someone's wanting to go their own way or, or I have some, some wandering sheep in the flock that are heading off in a bad direction and making poor choices with their life. And, 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 and you know what? Sometimes when I'm getting into a valley of discouragement, I've got some pride there and the Lord is saying, hey, right there, I'm working on you, son. That right there needs to go. That pride needs to go. You need to stay humble You need to keep your feet on the ground. You need to keep your feet in the dirt. Remember by whence you came. Remember that you're just my servant. Remember you're just preaching the truth. But this week, I was walking through a little bit of a valley of discouragement. And I was talking to my wife about it. And uh, she's doing a Bible study that she's getting ready to teach at uh, the teen camp this coming uh, uh, week and uh, on Thursday. And we got to talking about her material. And that got me thinking that maybe I got some stinking thinking going on and I began to I began to pray and say Lord show me the hand of goodness that you've put in my life and he said well if you'd open your eyes and you look out at the church congregation that I've called you to pastor you'd see all kinds of people's lives where people were walking through life blind and because of me using you in their life they now can see Marriages that have been restored and uh, people who are walking through life with discouragement and struggles and uh, people who are drunk who've been given freedom uh, in sobriety and other people uh, who uh, were uh, on the brink of of great discouragement and giving up for God. And uh, I have used you to strengthen marriages, son. I have used you uh, to bring about uh, salvation in many souls. I have used you to uh, baptize people. I have used you to proclaim the gospel. People's lives have been touched and changed. Hey, my son, I have used you. There were those that were once blind, but now they can see. And I want to say this evening that you don't have to have every answer under the sun. I think you need to study to show yourself approved unto God. I think you need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. But if someone throws at you an argument that you can't answer, you just look at them and say, you have to answer me a question. How come my life has changed because of the grace of God? Explain that one to me, buddy. Here the Pharisees are being skeptical and they're scorning him and they're uh, cross-examining him. And I can just see him getting antsy and frustrated. Look, guys, I haven't been able to see my whole life and you're holding me here in this room and you're making me answer questions I've already answered. Will you just leave me alone? Look down with me at verse number 26. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How open he... There's that how again. How open he there uh, thine eyes? He answered them, and you can just see his frustration. I have told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be uh, uh, his disciples? Now he's uh, getting snarky with them. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses, but as for this fellow, we not know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, And here's a lesson in practical theology. Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him 
out. Oh, they go back to the same assumption that the disciples had. Well, this man was born in sin. How, who is he to teach us theology? You know what this says to me about the Pharisees? Take your Bibles, by the way, to Psalm 27. You know what this says to me about the Pharisees? This says they lost the argument. And instead of actually debating him on, it, on, on his merit, on the merit of the argument, they just threw him out. They just threw him out. Now, you've got to give this guy a lot of credit. He was willing to suffer loss of family and religious community, community in order to tell this religious council that he was siding with the man who had given him his, his sight back. So now he's, he's, he's willing to live with the title down in the synagogue of publican and sinner and be banned from the synagogue in order to stand with Jesus, the man who had healed him. Now, uh, we look at, and, and by the way, at this point, the man's not yet saved. He gets saved at the end of the chapter. But we look at Psalm 27, and uh, while this was not written about the blind man, if you look at it, look at this chapter from his perspective, boy, it sure offers some Wonderful insights. I'm going to read through the entire chapter here. Think about the man we've been talking about that was healed as we read this chapter. The Lord is, think about him quoting this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold, behold, the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me upon a rock, and now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart uh, said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face Far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast uh, been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Look at this. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out Cruelty, I had fainted unless I had believed to see, to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's exactly what this man did. He waited for the Lord to come along and the Lord gave him his sight. You don't have to have an answer for every critic out there. You, but you do need to be able to tell them about the fact that you were once spiritually blind but now you can see. Christian, if you prayed the sinner's prayer and your life has not been changed by God's grace, then you have nothing to offer a critic. So many people 
They get saved, but they don't change their friends. They don't change their music. They don't change their TV habits. Uh, they don't change their language. And they go through life, and the only thing that's different is they show up to church once a week or twice a week, and they wander through life, and they're exactly the same person they were. In fact, if you look at the person's lost parent, you don't really see any difference in behavior between them and their lost parent. And then a critic wants to question you on your salvation, and not only can you not answer them on an intellectual level, you have nothing to offer in a changed life as to why God is real to you. Oh, may God's grace actually have changed your life so that you have something to show. Lastly, number three, we finish with this God's prerequisite for salvation. Letter A, we see spiritual craving. Spiritual craving. Look with me at John chapter 9. We're going to look at verse number 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he, Jesus, had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? What a whirlwind of a day for this man. He had gone from being a blind beggar, sitting outside the tabernacle, rather the synagogue. He gained his sight and lost his family and his religious community all on the same day. Now, in this mixed emotional state of having just been expelled from the synagogue, Jesus finds him. The man is still spiritually blind and craving to understand so that he can still he can yet see spiritually. Jesus asked him, do you believe on the Son of God? I meet many people who are not yet hungry enough spiritually to get saved. They're bored at the gospel message. They're infatuated with sin. They're in love with a broken culture. And you give them the gospel and they yawn. If you're witnessing to someone like that, don't walk them through the sinner's prayer. They're not yet ready to be saved. They may give you some form of a, you know, um, a token uh, respect to listen to what you have to say. Oh, they're not ready to be saved. They're not hungry yet. They're not hungry yet. I've coached sports teams and you get down uh, uh, to the end of the game and they lost to a team they should have beat and I've taken teams in the locker room and I've given them a passionate speech and said, you lost because you weren't hungry. And a lot of people, they're not hungry. There's not that spiritual craving on the inside. I love when you have someone come walking through the doors of the church and uh, their life has caused them great hurt and dismay and irritation and they're hungry for something new and they get saved. Nick, that joined the church this morning, uh, uh, hit a place of loneliness and emptiness in his life and on a Saturday morning laying in bed, he looks up toward the ceiling of his bedroom and he says, Lord, if you're out there, would you please show yourself to me? I'm hungry. I want to know you. And just an hour later, uh, there are two soul winners from White Oak Baptist Church who are... Can we tell you about Jesus? Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What are the prerequisites for salvation? Letter A, spiritual craving. Letter B, gospel clarity. Look at Matthew 9, or rather John 9, verse 36. He, Jesus, answered and said, I'm sorry, the blind man answered and said, 
Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, and I believe with a smile on his face, Thou hast both seen him. Let that settle in. Thou hast both seen him. This was the first day this man had ever seen someone smile. He's looking at his Savior in the eye, and Jesus smiles and says, Thou hast both seen him. And it is he that talketh with thee. Now back in John 8, Jesus spoke right past the Pharisees and they didn't hear him. They didn't understand him. They couldn't get it. But when this man sought to know who the disciple was, Jesus plainly told him, You both see me and you hear me. You know, the gospel is simple and it is clear once we set aside all of the noise of the world and we set aside our skepticism and we understand we have a sinful heart and we're in need of a Savior and that Jesus died on the cross. Aren't you glad that the gospel message is simple? Aren't you glad that all it takes is just a childish understanding of truth? Letter C, simple credence. Look at verse 38. And he said, here's the moment that the scales fall off his spiritual eyes. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Oh, that must have been so sweet to watch. Now to those who would question it, Jesus is indeed God. No other believer in Scripture allows themselves to be worshipped. Only Jesus, because He was God. This was the moment the man was given his spiritual sight. How did he get this? Did he go through some set of classes down at the local church? No, he'd been kicked out of the synagogue. Was there some sort of baptismal water that washed his sins away? No, he wasn't baptized here. How did this man get saved? He simply believed. Oh, it is so simple. Everywhere, though, that Jesus went, there seemed to be spies of the Pharisees that were eavesdropping on Jesus. Look at 39. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Their little snarky remark. Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. You've not dealt with the real issue. Jesus told these Pharisees, You have the light of the world shining right in your spiritual eyes, yet you do not see because you refuse to open up your heart and believe. We have a world that is filled with spiritual blindness. Teenagers, do not be infatuated with a world that is blind when God has given you light and sight. People wander around in the darkness of sin. Only the light of the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, can set you free. Jesus said in John 8, 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. If you do not know the Son, my admonishment to you tonight is choose Him. If you do know salvation through the Son, then why don't you get busy helping others to be set free from the curse of spiritual darkness? Heads bowed, eyes closed this evening.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord God, would You work in our hearts this evening? Would You reveal to us and show us where we, Lord, are maybe a little bit like the disciples, calloused toward the blind people around us? Lord, people wander in darkness and sin and they're spiritually blind and yet we have the light in our heart. We pass them on the street. We pass them in the store. We pass them on the sidewalk. We pass right by and seem to not care that they're wandering around in spiritual blindness. Lord, the Pharisees wanted a theological debate about the man's condition. All you wanted to do was heal the man. Not only of physical blindness, but of his spiritual blindness. Oh God, would you help us to get busy doing that work. Lord, if there's someone here tonight, or maybe watching online, who's not yet received you, Lord, would you help them to turn from their sin and be hungry. Give them that craving. May they find that craving deep down inside. Lord, help them to understand very clearly the Gospel. And may they with credence put their faith in You alone. Oh God, work in our hearts tonight. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, would You help us to make sure that our hearts are right with You and others. We have no ought in our hearts, no sin in our heart, no offense between us and You or us and a brother or sister in Christ. And Lord God, guide us and help us. As we have a time of introspection, Lord God, work in our spirit, work in our, 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 our hearts. Spirit of God, move amongst us during this time. In Jesus' name, 